Hello, my name is Austin Matra, and welcome back to the Dragon's Den podcast. Today, I'm joined by my boy, Robin Jones, and we're going to be discussing the end of the MLB season and some football for you today. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds pretty good. We're going to start with the MLB recap. World Series just ended, Rangers in, I believe, six? Six? Five. Five. It was a really interesting series. You can tell it was kind of one-sided just for how the matchups. Pitching was iffy. You did see the resurgence of Jordan Montgomery just going absolutely off in the playoff. As Nathan Ovaldi, they didn't really have Serger or DeGrom, but they were dominating. Yeah, but just goes to show you how deep that pinch-off rotation really was. Ovaldi showed up big time in the playoffs. Then you had a lot of big names like Scherzer came back. He didn't pitch great, but yeah. he had a couple starts here and there. Montgomery pitched amazing. But I think the real highlight of that uh, postseason run was Adolis Garcia. Well, he was doing really good until he got injured. And, I mean, would you make the case that he could have won a World Series MVP if he was not injured? I mean, I'm not sure, but I think it's pretty fitting that Seager won it, considering he's won it already with the break. Excuse me, not Braves, the Dodgers. Dodgers. So it's cool to see him get another one on another team. I believe that's only been done once before. So that was really cool to see. And Adolis did get his NL or ALCS title mm -hmm. MVP, just like Randy Rosarena. They're like best friends and they, they're both playoff monsters. They always come alive in the postseason. And then we can also talk about Evan Carter, who started playing with the team in the September call-ups. He was yeah. in the minor leagues the entire season. He was going off in the playoffs. They had him as the third hitter, the cleanup. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure when Simeon, Seager, maybe Carter, and then Jordan Ryan. Yeah. But that could also be later in the series with Garcia not playing there. Also, this Rangers lineup is really deep. I mean, if you look really down, you see Josh Jung going... I believe the eighth spot, their ninth spot was their defensive center fielder who made that really good catch in the World Series. Little kind of in the earlier game one, game two. I know last year, you know, that was on Championship Series against the Astros with Alvarez, which kind of got you a little scared, right? Yeah, uh, I had a little bet on there of that game and Jordan Alvarez came through and won me some nice little chunk of change there, but I'm glad that happened. So with the World Series over, now we're going to go to probably some people's favorite part, the offseason. We're going to start with third. There wasn't really many too much for signings, but I feel we go to a more fun part, which would be free agent creations. So currently with me, I have the top 10 according to MLB.com. Do you want to start with yours? So I think the obvious to start with is the face of Japan himself, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I think that's a little bit more interesting than seeing where Shohei is going to go because it seems like everybody wants Yamamoto. Mm -hmm. Insanely good pitcher, pitched great in the postseason in Japan in the MVP, pitched 140 pitches in a complete game, letting up one run. I believe that was 14 strikeouts right there in that game. So. Crazy game. Then pitched another no-hitter with MLB GMs in attendance, scouting him, so... He's going to get a lot of money. I mean, we can sort of shoot off like the Shohei Otani is coming off that UCL tear. Not going to be pitching next year. Is able to pitch the year after as advised. But Here. you think that's going to hurt his contract a little bit? They're originally saying around 
five hundred million. Yeah, I don't know if he's gonna get his that, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he does because the fact of the matter is, Shohei brings more than his skill on the field. He's such a good brand ambassador for your team, and oh, such a great way to market to Japan that he's worth more than the on-field product. You know, you might be mad if in a couple of years Shohei Otani regresses, but he's basically going to give whoever gives him that contract money. That contract will work itself out in the end. I feel a lot of sport conservatives don't understand that concept. A lot of average fans being like, how can a player playing a, playing a game get over 45, 50 million AAV average annual value. And it's not just because they're playing good, it's they're very marketable as Joe with the Angels. He also brings the Japanese fan base with him. You can also say that with Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, with Levy's DR. Yes. And there's also... They have a lot more stars, but like Shohei is the face. Yeah. I mean, I went to a Yankees Angels game where Shohei was playing, and there were so many more Angels fans than I've seen posing fans at Yankees games. Like they really came up and showed out for him. But my prediction for Shohei is kind of a wild card. I think he goes to the Mariners. Well, we can all agree that he's going to go into the West Coast. I don't really see him going into yeah. the West Coast. I, I heard the Cubs really want to make a push for him, and I heard Hugh Darvish really sold him on it from when he used to play there and talked to him about it. But I have a feeling he might go to Seattle because they have a young team, a very electric team, and a nice lefty bat with Shohei to go in that stadium. You know, that had another notable lefty power hitter that used to play for the Mariners. And... I just, you know, at the All-Star game, they were chanting, Shohei, come to Seattle, and it's a great atmosphere. So I think Shohei might go to Seattle. I feel like it's going to the Dodgers. It's just me. I just feel, obviously, he's going to stay on the West Coast. No shot he's going to be close because I alliterated before, but the Dodgers have money. I feel like he's going to go to the Dodgers. I feel like it's a really comfortable move from going with a really struggling Angels team with like already not... I won't say they're the best team in the NL, of course, with the Braves, but very top contending, very contending years before. And if you have Shoei Otani into that mix, that's a pretty good team. Also, with a lot of their pitchers being injured last year, which kind of didn't help their chances with them coming back, Walter Bueller coming back. It's going to be a really good team. And also, Shoei pitching, it's going to pitch in 2025. It's also their, their rotation with Clay and Kershaw not being there anymore, probably retiring real soon. Yeah, I mean, just this year, he put up six war as in DH alone, basically, without any of his pitching contributions. So he will be worth it. And he can play the field, especially. I mean, depending how the UCL goes, he can stick up maybe a corner outfield spot or something. Or maybe a DH if he can't do that. But I think Yoshinobu Yamamoto, I believe that is how you say would be is kind of the more interesting for Jinx. I've seen him the Mets really want. The Yankees are talking. The Yankees, Cashman was there for the perfect game. There was a lot of intrigue around him. And truly, I don't believe in, or I don't know, is a better phrase. I don't know what the Yankees are going to do. So I don't see him going there. I almost see this as a, as him going to like a wild card kind of team. I don't know if it'll be the Dodgers, the Yankees, or the Mets. I can see someone more like the Red Sox coming in and getting him, or the Rangers even. 
even make that case for your from um, Shohei Otani with the Cubs. You can also make that case right here too. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like it's going to be a big market matchup between the Yankees and the Mets. With he's probably going to get six years. Could you kind of make a market back for him? Probably high two ten two hundreds. Yeah, I've so said. that's around. 35 million a year. Yeah, I believe so. So I feel it's going to be a between Yankees and Mets. You can make the case for the Red Sox and the Cubs as like a. But the issue is with the Yankees. At that point, you're paying 20 plus million dollars to three of your starting pitchers. You know? Yeah. You have to figure out the rest of the team as well. And with the Mets, they also do have another Japanese talent named Koai Sengen, who believe was recruiting them last year. He was recruiting another Japanese pitcher. Could have been Shohei, but I feel like that's also a very high factor you can put over that match. Yeah. After that, we have Blake Snell, high strikeout, high walk kind of pitcher. Had a great bounce back season this year. I don't know where he's going to go. I I can see him re-signing, staying in, staying in for the Padres. I can see him maybe going back to the Rays. I really haven't seen the conversation heat up around him a lot, but... Where do you, where would you estimate he goes? I can see a team like the Rens kind of trying to sign him because they need a little bit more pitching. I feel like that's so not really play. sorry to stop you. I feel like that's not really like an intriguing market. Personally, I could honestly see like a West Coast team in Seattle, the Giants. The Giants do need pitching, and I think Snell would pitch very well there. Yeah. Right after that, we have really hot topic up here in New York, Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Who Recently was eating tall with the Yankees, kind of just like brushing in, just getting their feel. He could, he had a really bounce back year. He was struggling a few years before, which there could be a question mark on that. But he really reworked his game, though. He was hitting for a lot more average than he was power. Yeah. And he, he kind of swapped that out. And it really helped his game. Plus, he's got an amazing glove behind it. So. I think he stays. I think Bellinger's going to be one of the guys that stays because the Cubs fans really appreciated him and came into his own. And I think they're going to offer a mega deal, especially since they got the Brewers old manager and they really seem to be wanting to make a push this season. Yeah, he's very biased opinion. I just want to be a gallon cure. What other TV are interested in? He's going to be That's my very unbiased pick. Number five is the glove shaker himself, Aaron Nolup. So I think that's another one where he stays in Philly. The Phillies would be stupid to let him go because every time they get to the postseason, he pitches amazing for them. He's just been a great pitcher for them for the whole length of that contract. And I don't know if they give him a crazy deal, which is one of the reasons I feel like he might walk because he's older and he kind of might want a longer deal, whereas the Phillies... Don't want to hand that out. So I think that there's a chance he walks, but I think it's very slim. Personally, I absolutely agree with that take. I feel like it is an aspect of loyalty. And does he have loyalty to the Phillies who, I believe they paid Zach Wheeler for years ago. They pay Trey Turner a very huge amount of money. They paid they Carl Schwarber a lot of money. They paid Castellanos a lot of money, who's in trade talks right now. Also, Farber is over $300 million. JT Ramuto, one of the best catchers in the league. He, I don't really see where the money is coming from, but it's really an ideal loyalty. I don't really see him going somewhere else, but... You very, never know. 
Josh Hader is interesting too, because I don't know if a lot of teams are going to want to pay a ton of money for a closer, you know, Hader's going to command a lot of money because he obviously is an elite closing talent along with being a lefty, which brings a little bit more value to the, to everyone. But I, I honestly don't know where to place it. I feel like it would be stupid. I don't see him going to anywhere on the East Coast. I feel like I feel like if he signs, it's going to be in the NL Central or I mean, maybe back with the Padres. Maybe they just throw more money at the team and hopefully it fixes itself. I said he's going to go to a contender with the Rangers. I also not really too sure about their money. I know they did pay a lot for Sinian at the ground with Serger. And I just feel like that's just like a Rangers. It kind of is, but they also have Chadman, so I don't, I don't know what they're gonna do with him. First of all, you have Real Rad Fleer and Chadman just made. He, oh, I would. I mean, too. Chadman also didn't say on record with the Yankees. He, when he signed with the Royals, that he liked the aspect of not feeling much pressure in a small market. So I'm curious, especially when he played in the World Series, that he really wasn't complaining about. He also wasn't losing games. Yeah, it was like a. He's a little a like setup a man. setup man. So maybe they do go for Hater and use Chapman as a overpaid <laughs> setup guy, but that would be a great one to punch, just like Hater had with Devin Williams. So they operated very effectively in that year. So maybe that's, you know, kind of they cycle closes back and forth or who knows what they do. The next guy we have on our list is Sonny Gray. Kind of intriguing, but up and down in his career, coming off another very solid year. I don't know, though. I feel like he's going to get a contract for like two years on a contending team. Well, you do have to put the aspect that did have a, two, a sub 2-5 ARA. It's pretty impressive for a pitcher. Oh, of course. But I kind of also see this in League of Resigning. can be that pitchy face in the staff. We also have Jose Barreo in this club having really nice one-two punches. Fine. I eat. I really kind of see it as a resigning. Maybe you can go a dark horse like the Toronto Blue Jays who lost their ace and just this. What's, what's the word where progression? What did it happen in Manola? Like the MC games. Uh, I don't know if there was that, but I can see it. He is 34 years old, 35. So he's getting out there. I think the Blue Jays would be a nice fit because they always seem to be right on the cusp. They're always missing one piece. So if Green can come in and pitch well. That would be great, but he seems to do a lot better on small market teams. So I almost once again want to point to the Reds as a team where he could go to and really thrive. So I feel this out of every one of these picks is very interesting. Jordan Montgomery, you could make the case that this is kind of like a Steven Strasburg negotiations. Like, yeah, he was, he wasn't bad. He was doing really good down the stretch. What do you think he can keep that up? Keep it up. Yeah, the Strasburg's problem is injuries, obviously, but I think Montgomery isn't that level of pitcher when he's healthy. He just had a really good postseason yeah. run. I do believe he's a good pitcher, and would you pay $25 million for Montgomery? That's the issue, though. You know, 15 I don't know if much teams have an issue, but $25 million for Jordan Montgomery, he's getting paid because he just had that insane postseason run, you know, after... People said that he can't pitch in the postseason. He's proving a lot of people wrong, but we'll see. You can see this with Steven Strasburg. I feel like you can't really make this comparison, but you kind of can with Madison Bumgarner, who had that insane year 
in the early 2010s, but when you signed with the Diamondbacks for over 200 million, he kind of just fell off. And it's really tough with Monty with just, do you think he's going to say the same? I personally think he's going to say the same. I would offer him maybe four or five years. He's so kind of young, kind of just getting into those like 30 age range, but I think five I can, years, 15, I can see 20, him almost offering him lower, like since he's rated in that range, maybe they offer him like a five-year deal with like a lower average, like a 20 average, you know, like for a loan deal or something like that. So that way, maybe you can have a Yeah. I feel like that contract yeah. is going to have a lot of opt-outs or it's going to have a team or a club option or a team or a player, excuse me, and something like that. Well, J.D. Martinez is another interesting one because came back from injury, brought back his elite hitting prowess. I think he stays in L.A. So old, too. Yeah. Getting really out there. I feel like if the Dodgers don't resign, which you never know in today's age, that's a, such a huge wild card. I would, yes, he really performed last year at the Dodgers, but again, is he going to keep that up? I th- it reminds me a lot of like Nelson Cruz. He really does. He, this late in his career, you know, losing the legs, still has the power in the bat. And, you know, as long as you keep those things consistent, you could keep going another two, three, four years, but it could just drop off a cliff one season for no reason. So I, I think the Dodgers might get him for another like, a year or two a year deal. One year, two year, like AAV in the 15 million. Just, just so yeah. you can handle presence on the bench or teaching wherever you need. I think that's a great fit for them. And then our last free agent, Matt Chapman, another good one. I could see a team that really needs some defense getting him, obviously. You know, he started off the season strong last year with the Blue Jays, but... I don't know if he's going to stay. That's that's one player where I feel like the later guys on the list are more likely to stay. You know, they, they feel like the Blue Jays really appreciated the defense on the hot corner and that Chapman between, or the connection between Chapman and Flatty is very strong. You know, having that beloved third base and being able to get those balls over first very consistently was good for them. This is a very, this is my prediction. This is really rare. I feel like when I say this, I mean, instantly, you know, that they don't really pay many people. And do you think you know what I'm going to say here? Maybe. They guess. I have no idea. So I'll say it like this. Their highest player they've ever paid, ever, was A.A. Benintendi. I feel like that would be a Chicago White Sox. Just as like a, a resurgence. It's just, I feel like that's such a good fit with the defense over there. They lost. Alvarez last year, they're going to lose Tim Anderson. They're going to lose, not going to lose. They also have Luis Robert in their center field. Benintendi has really lived up to that contract and yet, but it's just a weird team that I just feel it's going to be Willits us. I can see that too. I mean, they're also not really contending for a title, so I don't know why I didn't get Matt Chapman, but they also thought they were contending for a title this year and they went out and got Ben and Hendy, so you never know. To finish off with MLB, we had Silver Slugger's in Gold Gloves Dole. Did you see those? I do want to make it really like a statement, I guess you can say, which I'm a Yankee food. I'm really confused how Bobby Wood Jr. was signed. Bobby Wood Jr. had an amazing glove. He wasn't even a playlist. I found him very weird. 
Yeah, I mean, first base was Nathaniel Love with the Rangers. Very deserved. Andres Venez with the Guardians. Third base, Matt Chapman, as we mentioned before. And shortstop, rookie Anthony Volpe, which, you know, he came out and won a gold glove. Wasn't even really supposed to be that good defensively. Peraza was supposed to be better defensively. Had 15 defensive runs saved. Second rookie shortstop to ever win the gold glove, joining Pena last year. The youngest shortstop to win the honor. And the best part, he had a 20 for 20 season. 20 home runs, 20 steals. So, futures and being right for him. Well, the offense was very good, but I'm not trying to sound like this, but it's a defensive award gold glove. And Volpe, he, I believe he had a better defensive run save, but he did have a lot of errors. Yeah, because he had so much better range than Correa and Seager. He has more speed, so he's able to get to those balls. So some of those errors may not be errors for guys like Seager and Correa because they can't even get to those balls. He's able to get to them, you know, just barely. Mm-hmm. Jonah Heim, great win for the Rangers at Gold Glove. It's a shame we didn't see Adley win it again. But I assume his defensive metrics took a little bit of a step down, I believe, so he's playing so much that I catch him this year. And then... Kwan in left field, Kevin Kiermeyer in center, and Adolis Garcia in right. You know, pretty good uh, gold glove winners this year. I feel like everyone thought so. You know, in the National League, Christian Walker at first, Nico Horner at second, third great beast, Cabrian Hayes, finally topping off Nolan Arenado, but not much more deserving guy to Very high bar to say, keeping Nolan Arenado in the world. He... Brian Hayes is very underrated for his defense, and it's really good that he finally won a word this year with Ornato Nunn. I feel a lot of people think of players as offense, very underrated with defense, and that's what Cabrian Hayes has. Yeah. Very that's why he got that deal a couple of years ago. You know, very good player for that team. Ian Happ for the Cubs. The catcher was Gabriel Moreno. Center field was Britton Doyle. I don't even... I didn't know who he was until I saw that 105 mile an hour throw to home. But that was crazy. Sixth key outfielder to ever win a gold glove, joining Luis Romare and Steven Flan. And then in right field, Tatis finally putting it all together defensively and gunning people from right field. I Seems like so. he's found his home. Some people were probably very angry at that take just because Tatis won. There's a lot of Tatis hatred for no reason. With I know he did have that suspension. But PEDs don't make your de- defense get better. Yeah. Very good point there. And then we come to our silver sluggers where Andy Diaz wins first and Matt Olson and the NL. First win for each of them. Second beast, two-time winners, Marcus Simeon and Luis Arise. You know, I think that one was pretty obvious right there. Marcus Simeon was much better than Glaber Torres this year, so... I think that was a good pick. Shortstop, Corey Seager and Lindor both are on their third wins, believe it or not. You know, I think those were pretty obvious. And at third base, Austin Riley and Rafael Devers, once again, you know, both their second wins. A lot of these guys are having the same amount of wins in the infield. Not not once we get to the outfield. Luis Robert won his first and Julio won his second, along with Kyle Tucker getting his first, which... That's weird he hasn't done it. Yeah, that's weird he hasn't done one yet. And then in the NL, Acuna won his third. Mookie Betts won his sixth. Soto won his fourth. 
but so if she can get the golden walker or something, I'll give him like a cane to walk down to first base with. And and Lee and William Contreras both won it for catcher, both winning their first DH. It's probably no surprise to anybody at Shohei and Bryce Harper. So I'm a fan of this. So this year they added utility going blow. Yeah, that was Gunnar Benderson. And Cody Bellinger. I think you mean a silver slugger, not golden glove. Right. Silver slugger. I feel like Gunnar Henderson played a lot more short and it was kind of a way to get him the award, but he did play all over the middle of the diamond for them. I feel like utility, you should have to play infield and outfields, honestly. I mean, if it's the aspect of utility, utility is just playing multiple positions. I don't know, because you could also just... Certain people like DJ LeMay, you just like, they're a utility guy, but you can start at second and third. It's not like crazy, you know. Second, when I see third, someone first. like Tommy Edmund or Mauricio Digmon, I think more utility players because someone like Edmund plays all over the diamond. But it's just a little bit thing. I am excited to watch Gunnar Henderson and I'm happy that Belly's, like I said, bounced back. But with the season in a close, I'm pretty sure we know who our MVPs and our, you know, Cy Young winners are, Snell and Cole. And I believe that the AL is probably going to be Shohei. And we're probably going to get a, I believe Acuna is going to win the MVP. But what was your favorite NLB moment this year? Favorite moment in the game? I can go first if you want. So it's not necessarily a... MLB moment, as in a home run or a nice strikeout or anything. But one of my favorite baseball moments this year, you know, was the season kicking off with Shohei shrinking out a trout in WBC. But my favorite MLB moment was Jose Ramirez knocking out Tim Anderson because Jose Ramirez just seems like the kind of person who doesn't want any of that, never engages in any of that, and then out of nowhere. He gets swung on and then knocks out Tim Anderson. That was a really, yeah, give him a meet right. And you can see from the radio saying, down, down, down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Electric call. I was like, they're calling a boxing fight. But that was one of those, my favorite MLB moments this year, you know, watching it, not necessarily live, just apart from like the in-person things I experienced in that, that was one of my favorite moments this year. I don't really have many moments. Make the case maybe... I really did like the Ellie De La Cruz resurgence. The uh, resurgence spot. or the four. I'm not thinking of the slate. Yeah, the slate well, was pretty good. You can also go with the four steel band too, but I just feel like that was like a really interesting. Just him kind of emerging in yeah. general. He he was electric, kind of slowed down to end the year, got outpaced by some of those other rookies, but still just has that amazing physical, those amazing physical tools to really step forward. But speaking of amazing physical tools, I want to talk about some NFL now. CJ Shroud can place the ball wherever he wants with no issues, apparently. Setting the rookie record for passing yards at 470 and five touchdowns, beating out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a thriller of a game. I mean, Tampa Bay secondary not doing so great. They're really more known for their defensive line without being available. So they did also have the option to run the ball fine. I feel like the big moment for this game was they had three 100 receiving yard receivers in, I believe, Tate Dell. Tate one, Dolan Schultz. Oh, Dolan Schultz and Nico Collins. Yeah. So that's very interesting how the, he has such a variety of receivers to throw to. 
Also the fact that they were down the last minute of the game and he came back in like a 20 second drive, made a believe 50 yard bomb to legal Collins. And I believe he found somebody right down the middle for a touchdown. That's my Tom Brady moments right there. Driving all the way down in like half a minute. Yeah, I mean, everyone was really down on CJ Shroud's stock was kind of falling. Most of the Texans, not a lot of receivers, nobody really thought he would do well. And he's been amazing this year. On pace to beat the, you know, rookie, will it not beat the win rookie of the year? And honestly, I'd vote for him right now if I had to pick my award winner. It was even funny before during the combine, they said he really wasn't intelligent compared to the other quarterbacks. Which you have to hear about this? Yeah. Who cares? I mean, if you know football, you know football, you know. Maybe you're not the best at test taking, but you just know you have the instincts to realize what's going on out there. And also, the Wonderlink test is a very unfair grading of a player. And I feel that's where he got penalized. And some, some people swear to see Ryan Fitzpatrick and like a nearly perfect score. And I just feel like that's not a great way to judge any process. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick also came from Harvard. And yeah, just, that's why the there's a nice point. conspiracy theory that he only plays well, gets a big contract, yeah. and then sits the nice little. So back up this, and then we also have this was this a four o'clock game, the Eagles and the Cowboys. Yes, that was four o'clock. You, a lot of people made the case. I was watching this game that the Eagles were trying to get saved by the refs in the last few minutes with some PI calls, some body calls. But there were also calls against the Cowboys. Like there were calls both ways on that last drive, so you can't make that case. And this was just like a. Titan Super Bowl play that it was called by CD Lamb and he got stopped just at the one by three Eagles players. It's a very interesting game, but not enough to beat him. Yeah. I mean, pretty good though for them. I really, you know, the Cowboys stepped up and showed they have what it takes to hang with these top teams. I mean, they are considered a top team, but they have trap games every once in a while. You know, they've lost to the Cardinals and the Niners. They got demolished by. So it was good to see them play a team like the Eagles and stay in the game the whole time. And then we go to the Frankfurt game in Germany at 9 a.m. You watched the game? I had an alarm on my phone at 9 a.m. I rolled over. I saw it ringing. And I'm like, huh, I'm going back to sleep this week. And then I woke up and I saw there was like no scoring. I th- what was really interesting is no Chiefs receiver had more than three catches. They really spread the ball around that game. And then... And by receiver, I mean tight ends as well. Travis Kelsey also had a very quiet day. Well, it was really weird because the storyline behind this game, it was very two top offenses. And it was the defense who was the victor today. Yeah, I mean, that nice fumble six, the little pitch and run, you know. I thought that was a great play, you know, locking him down at the end, Tua just missing his receiver. You know, obviously there was some sort of miscommunication there. It was where the or something. no quarterback threw for over 200 yards. It was Tua who had the most room passing yard at 193. Yeah. I mean, sometimes games like that happen, you know, you're bound to get found out eventually. You can't, as good as you are, you're not going to be able to go out there and throw for... 290 yards a game and three touchdowns every time. It's just not possible. And the Chiefs' defense is pretty underrated. They really like their linebackers, their defensive line, their corners are young, and they're not 
amazing, but they do play very well, I think. So I really liked that matchup. And a nice little note here is the Josh Dobbs effect, huh? That man, wherever he's been balling this year, last year comes in on a short week to play for the Titans, right? Loses the game, but had two days to learn the playbook, comes in and almost wins them the game. Goes to Carolina, signs very late this year, gets them a win against the Cowboys and plays very well for them, keeping them in games. Then gets traded to the Vikings and where is going to see him apparently come back and win these crazy games and we're doing great. So he has been balling up like crazy on all these different teams. He may not have a crazy record, but teams around him are great. And honestly, he would be a very good starting QB for a bunch of teams in the league this year. With Josh Dobbs, he, I believe their quarterback, their original starting quarterback, who was also, who was a rookie, got injured kind of halfway through the second quarter. And Josh Dobbs was going with the entire offensive line going through his cadences. Going into the game, there's a lot of third and tens, third and fifteens that he used his legs and picked up these first downs. You know, yeah. O'Connell was in the huddle. He literally called out the formation and then what route they were supposed to run, which I found funny. He can call a nine or a two or whatever was required from the receivers, and they did it like that in a huddle. You know, just coming in as the backup position. It's just amazing to watch, honestly. And then I feel that you can also call the Falcons out, it's you have Tyler Algier, Verdell Patterson, and you have Vijon Robinson. But in this game, Josh Dobbs was a leader of rushing. Well, I think the way that the Atlanta offense has been has frustrated a lot of people lately with their weird usages of Bijan and the illness designation when they played the Bucks not too long ago. So now they keep running Tyler Algier, even though he has more rushes on the season, but less yards and less yards per attempt. So people have been getting frustrated with that. And I don't know why, why did you draft a halfback I hate when you have a previous halfback who rushed for more than a thousand yards? I mean, if you're going to draft them, use them, obviously. But, you know, I think Algier is good, but... I don't know what they're doing. And then they also drafted Pitts and use him as decoys while Johnny Smith gets a lot of receptions and they do the same thing with Drake London, it seems, sometimes. So I just think they run the offense their way. They use a lot of decoys and weird things. So we have to watch and see how they run. And then last night we had a Thursday night football match for the ages. Panthers versus Browns with a terrible game. That was a great game. What do you mean? Eddie Pinero goes on there to kick a field goal out of his range, misses, and just kind of shrugs and walks off the field. That was a personal highlight for me. It was the D2 Heisman and seed winner against the D1 Heisman winner. And the D2 guy won. Won. And it wasn't like they both had really terrible games. They both were had or thirty five passing attempts, but I don't know why they don't kind of run the ball. Also, it was a lot of passing attempts against two quarterbacks who really haven't fluted themselves. There's also two bad defenses. You know, they 
I feel like both of those lines are pretty good at stopping the run. So at some point, like, you're going to have to throw the ball. Young started letting it fly when he had to. There was no other option at that point in that game, you know. So I can't really blame them, you know. My bet hit. We'll get to that later. But then, my bet also had two. We'll see if that happened a little bit. I mean, Foreman was running the ball really good last night. He had a touchdown over 70 yards. I don't know why he just don't keep pounding the rock. Because it seems that, hey, listen, all that matters is that you have more points than your opponent by the end of the game. And looks like they did. So can't get too mad at that. So if we look at the draft order coming, we have Carolina. Oh, nope. Chicago Bears, they traded that pick last year for the right to draft Bryce Young. And this is kind of a weird strategy, which you didn't expect the Panthers to be doing that bad. It's you have the right to get Caleb Williams. He hasn't been looking too good at this draft weight plumbing in the next few weeks, but you have to quarterback, so you have to trade your corner current quarterback who you also traded up for a few years back in Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. If they have the number one pick, they can get a hole for it, just like they did last year. And I can see them trading out once again. You know, it's a, you know, say they're number one, I can see the Giants trying to trade up, and then it goes quarterback, quarterback, and they still get a guy like Marvin Harrison on the team. You know, same with New England. So... It's pretty interesting how this is going to shake out, you know. Once draft season comes more, we'll have more info and kind of speculate more there. But the top five being Carolina, Arizona, Giants, Patriots, then Chicago again gives them just so much ammunition to really make a splash in the draft this year. I mean, a lot of these picks are just best of the old. I mean, best of the old number one overall. Right now, Caleb Williams... Go number two, best available, Murray and Harrison one. Could be the Heisman winner this year, or at least a final unless they go to the Giants. Need a quarterback. Daniel Jones tore his ACL. They had their Curry quarterback who wasn't even allowed to throw a pass. Nate, which that game, they had negative eight yards. They need a quarterback. New England, best available, Brock Bowers. They do have two tight ends, Hunter Mittery and Mike Jacetti. And I don't know if they need another one, but Brock Bowers can almost play wide receiver. He would go over in with the pick. With the Patriots and then you know, Chicago again, I don't think it's going to drop powers either. Just because they also have full men, it's been really good this year. An amazing signing for them. You know, they they signed that deal. They also signed Tanya, I believe. Right? We haven't seen any of Tanya. I feel like, and Cole Komet was regarded almost like not as good as him, but he's bro- broken through this season. You know, they drafted him very young. He was a second-round pick, and he was, like, 20 when they drafted him. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, 24, 25 now, and he's doing very well for himself. So uh, I believe this is a new kind 24 of— 24 years old, not even. So with that, want to go into a, re- a new segment we have this week? So we wanted to introduce a little new segment called— Well, today is Friday. So Prize Picks has a nice deal called Flex Friday. So we thought we would take you through, you know, some of the bets and some of the picks that we like for this weekend. What do you think? I'm going to score with Jared Galt over seven and a half passing yards against the Chargers. Chargers have been very struggling against the pass. And Jared Galt was probably one of the best passing quarterbacks in the league. He's hit this stat three out of the last five times. He's... Only reason, yeah, 
done it against the Packers and Carolina. He's hit his last three averaging 271 against Tampa, Baltimore, Las Vegas. I just feel like this is a just with the Chargers' very terrible passing defense. Yeah. Also, what do you have this week? So I have passing yards as well from Kenny Pickett, 205.25. He's gone over under 200 his last two games, but I feel like he's due for a bounce back week, and that Green Bay defense really seems like the kind of week to get it done. And my second one isn't a defensive pick, but it's a running back getting receiving yards. Rashad White, over 25 and a half receiving yards. Tennessee, I feel like, kind of has trouble stopping that. They have a really good D-line, but in space, I feel like they have a little bit more trouble, so I feel like they're going to try to utilize Rashad White like that. So, I'm always going to do the same thing. I'm going to go back to offense. I don't know why I said defense, but I'm going to look Alvin Kamara over 51 and a half rushing yards. He's hit this four of the last five times, just hasn't hit it recently against Chicago. But it's averaging 59 rushing yards. He is that main offensive weapon for the Saints, who they have Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and they're just, it's shut down to Kamara the entire time. I feel like it's easy just to us. Minnesota is a very terrible rushing defense. So that's who I'm going to get with. Uh-huh. And then another one I was looking at, which I'm not too sure, but I like it a lot, is Demario Douglas reception. New receiver for New England. Kind of getting a lot more rapport with Mac Jones. Went over in his last two games, five catches in each. And I feel like he's really close to breaking out, and this could be the week for it. So don't be late on that train. I am going to have one more pick, and this is for my special teams guys out here. It's the rookie for the Cowboys, kicker Brandon Albury. Over seven and a half kicking points against the Giants. And I am going to have this last time the Dallas Cowboys murder the Giants, and... Big offensive scoring game. The Cowboys, he had 10. I feel like this is going to be the same effect with a very heavy favorite on the Cowboys this week. My issue is I think they're going to score too many touchdowns. So I don't know if he's going to have a chance to get seven and a half kicking points. So I'd almost go under. But if you want a good kicker, I like Justin Tucker this week because Cleveland has a very strong defense. And I don't know how much they're going to be able to punch in the end zone. So if you're looking for a kicker, I'm actually going to put that in right now. So my total thing this week is Rashad White over 25 and a half receiving yards. Kenny Pickett over 205 passing yards. Jared Goff, 267 and a half passing yards. Alvin Kamara, 51 and a half rushing yards. Justin Tucker, seven kicking points. And Demario Douglas, four receptions. Hello, see. So... What are we thinking? Going to go six for six this week? I don't know if we're going to go six for six. There we go. Hopefully I can get a six for five, but you never know. After that little segment, we wanted to move on to some college football. Deep into the season, the CFP has started to announce their rankings. Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Michigan. Number four, Florida State. Five, Washington. Six, Oregon. Seven, Texas. Eight, Bama. 9 Ole Miss, and 10 Penn State. Very interesting top 10. You know, Ohio State had a higher strength schedule than Georgia this year, which is about to be fixed because Georgia has a nice game versus Ole Miss. Number one, number two versus nine. Ole Miss has a nice chance for an upset there, I believe. 
you know, Tennessee, Missouri, another good ranked battle this week. And Utah, Washington, battle of Pac-12. But I feel like the big matchup is in the Big Ten this week. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's going to be very, very shaking town 10 this week. Yeah, I can't wait to watch Rutgers versus Iowa. It's a Rutgers money. Rutgers money line. But Michigan versus Penn State is going to be a great game. You know, I want to see if Penn State is going to be able to finally shake the demons of Ohio State in Michigan this from them. In Michigan? No, in Penn State. That's weird. They, Penn State had their big whiteout game against a very unknown team. Why not? Have it this week against you had the entire crowd on you, especially Khalid. It was very early 2010s where they made Michigan the first play of the game, calling timeouts. How loud it was. Why wouldn't you not have that big whiteout game against the top of Boulder? I believe it was because it was like homecoming. My friend mentioned that goes to Penn State. Shout out them. And, but they also mentioned to me that. You know, they knew students that would be buying tickets and then selling them for up to $400 for a ticket to this game. So it's a must-watch game for them this week, you know. And I hope, you know, speaking on some of the other teams, though, I hope Texas is able to hang on to their spot and win the Big 12, even with their loss to Oklahoma. Because now Oklahoma's out of the way and they have a shot to make the CFP. It's going to be very interesting this year, you know. You still have Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, and one of those teams might drop out because Ohio State and Michigan still have to play. But, you know, you have four, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Bama's at eight. Who knows if they're going to make it, you know, maybe if they win the SEC. They did beat LSU this week. Uh-huh. Which made me very sad. And, uh, you know, they're at eight, so I think their only path in is to win the SEC, but... With teams like Oregon, you know, still up there in Washington, they might almost cannibalize themselves and knock each other out. I feel like that'll be, there's just a lot of really good close teams that still have to play in top of the top 10. So it's going to shake out very weirdly once the season's over. I also did want to say one last point that I did agree to this. There's a little bet between these Cortland football student managers. It's Matt up and wide who said that Oregon State would be Colorado this week. And I said, no, Oregon State be Colorado. Matt got me. My fault. You win. Had a shout out on that there, I guess. Had to give him some more. Yeah. Cool. Colorado has had a very weird season. You know, came out, showed the world that they, you know, were here to stay, beat TCU and storm the field, beating a very mid team. Well, to be fair, they did. TCU did win or were a top four team last year and everyone had them high going this year. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with it, but they still had a rank for a reason. And Colorado was only supposed to win three games, you know. Won their first couple. Everyone thought they were really hot and then didn't do so well after that. But I still I still believe in Colorado. You know, they basically transferred a whole FCS school. And so, or FBS? No. FCS, I think. Yes. I don't know. But they transferred a lower team into basically Colorado from Jackson State. So I think they still need some time to retool and recruit there. But I think the future looks bright for Colorado. I just saw something today. Deion Sanders said he keeps records of how many fights the players get into 
during practice and who wins. He's like, we don't like to step in because some players like instigate and then just have the fight get stopped. And we like to see like what happens in the fights and who wins. So interesting coaching strategy. I can't say I've heard of it before, but let the anger around just let the anger around. I guess if it works, it works. All right. This was the Dragon's Den podcast. We're going to be signing off and we'll see you soon.